0: All right, that one's going to work, that one's going to work. All right, take, take out your reading sheet, you read along with me, it'll be on the screens. We're going to read through our passage together today. This is 1 Samuel 24, as we were talking with the kids. This is David, David's having to wait. He's going to become king, but not yet. And so this is our text for today, 1 Samuel 24, 1 through 7. Let's stand and we're going to read this together. This then is the text for today. Now, when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. May God bless the reading of his word. Today, you may want to take time to finish uh, 1 Samuel 24 if you haven't. And also, as we go through the sermon today, you're going to need your scripture. We're going to be flipping through. We're going to hit several scriptures today. We don't often do that, but today we will. So make sure you have your scriptures ready and ready to turn to those when we get there. Empires in this world come, and empires in this world go. In fact, as we consider history, we remember those great dynasties. There have been many great dynasties all through history. Let me give you a few. Think about the, the Persians. The Persians were one of the largest land empires in the history of the world. They were, they were the first to develop roads and long roads that stretched across continents. They were a a massive empire, and that empire fell. It's been gone for about 2,300 years. Alexander the Great had one of the greatest military empires of all time. Alexander the Great has been dead for 2,000 years. The Roman Empire, we know more about the Roman Empire. We hear about the Roman Empire itself in Scripture. Roman Empire was one of the longest. It it stretched for nearly 1,500 years. But around 500 years ago, they lost their power. Every empire falls. Even the British. At one point, the British uh, controlled about 25% of the globe. One uh, One quarter of the world was controlled by the British until we got to World War I and World War II. And those wars decimated the British power. Eventually... The empire falls apart. And usually where it all gets tricky is in that transfer of power. Kings have a hard time letting go. Once once kings assume power, once dictators assume power, they never want to let it out of their hand. And so when it's time, they have a hard time letting go and it can decimate the empire. See, I don't want us to make any mistake about the scene that's in front of us in 1 Samuel 24. The scene that's in front of us in 1 Samuel 24 is not just some random scene in the back of a cave in the middle of nowhere. This is a graphic political moment of shifting empires. You know, I think when when we read this text, we can can, uh, picture it like it's backwoods camping. They're out in caves. They're out camping somewhere, and Saul comes upon David. But that's the wrong image. This, This is a moment of the inauguration of the new king of Israel. This is completely political. And this completely political situation is absolutely shaky. King Saul, as you read through this text, he has shown up to the battlefield with 3,000 chosen soldiers. These are the select fighters, and Saul has brought 3,000 with him. David is hiding in the cave with 600 guys. And these armies are there to settle a political battle. In a well-known region that looks pretty similar to the hill country. May have more caves and deep caves. It said in that region. said there are caves that can hold thousands of people deep within them. And so that's kind of the area. That's the stage that's being set up. A battle to become the king of Israel is about to happen. It's all more formal than we realize, I think, when we read the text. Even the whole scene where David cuts off the hem of Saul's garment... It's kind of a shock to us that David could and would get into a place where he could cut off a piece of Saul's garment. But in the ancient world, this was a legitimate legal move. It was a type of authorization. It was a recognition of broken relationship. In fact, it was not unusual in divorces for the person getting a divorce to cut the hem of the other person's garment. See, David is making calculated political moves in a shaky situation. Now, we know this. In the U.S., we, we have a different process. We have Inauguration Day. We, we have a term limit for the president. We have a formal process to make sure that the passing of the torch happens as well as it possibly could. But that's rare. Uh, across the world then, it was, it was completely rare. And it's even still across the world today, it's rare. There are shaky transitions of power happening all over the place. Unless it's the son of the outgoing king, the transfer of power is usually messy, filled with blood and a lot of crossfire. So you can imagine, you can picture David's 600 men lining up to fight as he cut the hem of the garment. They wanted to take it. And they wanted to take the power now. Because in the back of their minds, they knew seeing Saul come into this cave by himself without protection was as easy as it was possibly going to get. They were even saying that this is an answer to prayer. This is as easy as it could get to transfer power from one king to the next. There he is. He's right in front of us without his protection. We can take him out right now. Praise God. This just got simple. A complicated situation Made easy for us. That's not what happened. Was it? Instead of David assuming the role of this mighty warrior king. He let Saul slip away. As you read through the rest of 1 Samuel 24. he He lets Saul go. And instead of taking him out and becoming king this day. He gives Saul a speech. And even in David's whole speech, you see the speech in 11 through 15. He's using legal language, building a case against Saul as if they're standing before a judge. This whole scene is far more formal than it seems. And the shaky nature of it is not due to the geography We picture the the geography, the setting of the place being kind of odd. But but that's not the shaky nature of it. The shaky nature of this scene is the humanity. Worldly kingdoms fueled by human power are unstable. And they're, they're naturally unstable because they're led by people just like you and me. World leaders like Putin or Kim Jong-un or Angela Merkel or whoever they are, they're all just like us. They are broken people in need of salvation. Every empire is led and has been led by people that are filled with greed and pride and lust and gluttony. And whenever you transfer power in any of these earthly kingdoms, you are handing the power over to the same kinds of people, broken people in need of salvation, filled with greed and lust and pride and gluttony. They are equally broken individuals who are not up to the task of leading apart from the Holy Spirit. See, politics are shaky. And America will end up the same way as all of the others. You know, it doesn't doesn't matter if the president's a Democrat or Republican. All people are broken. And broken people fail you. That's who we are. We're, We're broken vessels of humanity. Now, Monday, I was reading through Hebrews, and God struck me. I was reading through those stories of faith. You know it in Hebrews chapter 11 when it lists all the great heroes of the Old Testament Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and it goes on. Turn with me to Hebrews uh, 11, 11, 13. That's what our text tells us. So Some of all these people living by faith, so all, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Admitting this. Listen to what they were admitting at the end of 13. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. See, we are them. That that is exactly where we are. We are exiles. We are foreigners. We are strangers in a land waiting the coming of our king. Some Some of us are way too comfortable in our present situation surrounded by humanity. We're fine wrestling with politics. We're fine with the state of this world. We're ready to settle in and call this place our home. But this place is not our home. and In fact, it's it's a struggle for us when we get too comfortable here. And we start to think, this is nice. And this is where we want to be. But this is not it. There's so much more that's out there that's available to to us. See, there's something far greater beyond the shaky politics of humanity. That's out there for us. The politics of this world are not going to save us. But there is a king who will. Let's continue reading in Hebrews. Let me get to Hebrews 12. Hebrews twelve twenty-six. The text says this. At this time his voice shook the earth. But now as he's promised. Once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. The word once more indicate a removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that we cannot be shaken, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and all, for our God is a consuming fire. See, there, there is a great kingdom which cannot be shaken. There is a great kingdom which will not be shaken. It, it's not led by failed, broken humans, but it's led by the coming king. It's led by our Savior, Jesus Christ, and it will not be shaken. Through the ages, from here to the end of time, it will not be shaken because it is supported. It's undergirded by our God, the creator of the universe. You see, if you are attaching yourself to any earthly kingdom, it's going to shake. And it will shake violently. It will one day shake violently as unto death. There's only one unshaken kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. And so we're preparing ourselves now for our home. A new home, a different home built upon a strong foundation that will last forever. That no power of this earth will ever overcome because it has a mighty king who has already defeated death. See, there's so much more to this life than shaky politics. And by the grace of God, David could see it. Nobody around David seemed to notice, but he saw it. In his heart, he knew it. David noticed that spiritual, the everlasting kingdom of God. And because he noticed it, That's why he thrived in this life. Because he lived it. That's why he thrives in heaven. You see, here's our answer. Here's our answer to disgruntled politics. Here's our answer to when uh, politicians become our idols. Here's our answer to when politics becomes shaky. Even when life itself becomes shaky, we remember whose we are. We belong to the kingdom of God, not to the kingdoms of this world. The kingdom of God is the one that stands forever and ever. Empires fall like dominoes through history. But the kingdom of God gets stronger by the minute. See, right now, the kingdom of God has never been stronger. The kingdom of God, as it gets stronger, it continues to come as it always has been. It's coming, building to a crescendo until the end of time. It is the unshaken kingdom that will last forever. You see, it's foolish for us to make peace treaties and compromises with the world. And today, instead, we are like spies in a foreign land. This is not our home. Don't get too comfortable with the ways of this world. Because it is treason in the kingdom of God to become comfortable in this place. Like so many of us are. See, David, in this moment, in this scene, in 1 Samuel 24, he could have taken that normal Human political move and taken the kingdom right there. And instead, he chose to go the spiritual route. And he waited. He knew that God was calling him to wait. And so he stopped. As much as he wanted what was front of, in front of him, and even God had even promised him what was in front of him, and instead of taking it, he stopped. Because he knew. Hear the voice of God. God had a plan for his life. That God was nudging him forward into this incredible leadership role. But it wasn't yet time. He could have taken God's plan. He could have sped it up. He could he could have got it going quickly. But that would have been compromising as the world does. And instead, he chose to wait upon the Lord. You see, we want shortcuts. We, we like to hurry. We, we like to run ahead of God. And running ahead of God is a shortcut that will weaken you to the point of failure. See, God knows, even better than you know, God knows what you can handle. God already knows what you're ready for. Uh, God knows the, the perfect timing for the blessings in your life that are coming. If you run ahead of God and get impatient with our God, you're setting yourself up for failure. And that's what happened. Even good things that are out in front of us, we, we trip and fall when we run ahead of our God. Discipline yourself to learn to wait like David waited. See, he could have reached out and, and grabbed what God had in store for him. But instead of reaching out and grabbing it, he waited for God to hand it over to him. I want us to, to look at a couple of psalms this morning too, These psalms of David. First one is Psalm 25, once you see in, in 2 through 4. Here's David saying this very similar thing. He's talking to God. In you, I put my trust, God, in you alone. You get in verse 2, Psalm 25, 2. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. The one who hopes in you, the one who waits for you, will never be put to shame. But shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. He'll be saying that when you you don't wait on God, when when your hope is not out there in God and and you're waiting on him, you will fall into shameful places. And the way to stay out of those shameful places and be lifted up as God is, is to just wait on him. Let him take care of you. Let God show you the way instead of running ahead of him. Now, another thing I I want us to notice as we read through these Psalms, you'll notice that... As you read through the psalms, there's some psalms that are really uncomfortable. We call these the imprecatory psalms. So these are the psalms that sound like prayers, and they're prayers for God to destroy your enemies. And David often prays these, where it almost sounds like he's saying, God, break the teeth of my enemies. Knock them in. Bring them into submission. And and it it sounds similar to what David does in our text for today. Because you see, as he's standing in front of Saul, and he's giving his speech to Saul, he's sort of looking up to God and saying, God, avenge me. God, make this right. And he looks at Saul, and he says, look at the two of us, and you judge between the two of us which one is right in this situation. He's calling down this judgment of God down on the whole scene. And that's a difficult thing for for us to to wrestle with. And what, what is David doing? So let's turn over to Psalm 35. I'll show you one of these imprecatory psalms. Again, this is a psalm of David. And look at 6 through 8. Psalm 35, 6 through 8. This is David. He's praying about his enemies. May their path be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Since they hid their net for me without cause. And without cause they dug a pit for me. May ruin overtake them by surprise. May the net they hid entangle them. May they fall into the pit to their ruin. This is is David praying and singing about the people in his life. And calling God to bring ruin on them. Calling God to bring a pain on them. Judgment on them. He's calling down fire from heaven on these people. Now I love what... Dale Davies said in his commentary, he's talking about 1 Samuel, but, but he brought up these imprecatory psalms, and, and this, this, is, this is the way he went, he says, if, if we might think, if we prayed this way, it would be a, a terrible indictment on our heart, that if we prayed this way, we would feel like we, we weren't being uh, as Christian, as loving as we should be, but Davies says these psalms that ask God to come in and tear down our enemies, they're a sign of true obedience, And they're a sign of faithfulness that, that for one, when we are able to pray with real emotion and and, and we're able to set our whole self and everything that's running through our mind, when we're able to come to God and just lay it out before him and say, God, this is what's on my heart. This is what's on my mind. I know this doesn't sound right, but but hear me, God. When you're in that place, that's a place of deep faith. What even the worst thoughts of your mind, you can set them at the feet of Jesus and say, take them. That's faith. We're letting God into the inner recesses, every part of our heart and mind. That's a good thing. But even more importantly than that, in this instance, we're trusting God to handle vengeance or revenge for us. Because we know that we shouldn't avenge ourselves. We're not called to that. But a prayer like one of these imprecatory Psalms is trusting that God cares deeply enough about you that he will handle those who have misguided you and those who have mistreated you. That God is just and God will be a mighty judge and be justice for us when he needs to be. And that he's going to handle it. And he's going to take care of it. God's going to bless the righteous and curse the evil ones. And so when you come to God and pray like this, it's handing it all over to him. Saying, God, I'm not going to take revenge for myself. But I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you to handle it. You avenge me, Father. And, and when you pray your heart like this, uh, for those who are against you or those who have hurt you, you're trusting that God's going to handle it just like he promised And what a blessed place to be, where you can take the deepest pain and hurt of your life, and you just set it before Jesus, say, you take it. I can't, I won't. You take it. Avenge me, heal me. And that's what God does. God God works in that. Let's keep reading through our scriptures. Let's get to Romans now. Paul talks about this, a similar thing in Romans, Romans chapter 12, 19 through 21. Romans 12:19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. But, but David doesn't, uh, excuse me, uh, Romans doesn't stop there. It continues on in 20. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, that's our response there. Our response is to have confidence in God's word and God's ability to handle it. The call of scripture on your life is for you to be kind, you to be loving, and God will handle the judgment. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Kind of like Danny was admonishing us earlier. Scripture tells us it's easy to love the, the people in your, in your life who love you back. The, the call of faithfulness is to love those who don't love you back. Love them with all of your heart. Let God handle the judgment. Let God handle the revenge. God will take care of you. God has promised that, that he will handle it. God's got you covered. See, when our lives get shaky... We turn to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the only place that we will find stability in this world. The kingdom of God is the only kingdom on the face of this earth that will not be shaken. See, as we read through David's journey to be king, he had complete confidence in his God. God was going to handle it. God, it was, he had confidence in God's vengeance, God's timing, God's promise. He knew he could trust his God to handle everything that was in front of him. And David knew, he said, this, this whole matter, everything that's in front of us, everything about our days, everything about our politics is spiritual. We don't respond in those normal human ways, those corrupted ways, but we respond the way God has called us to because this is all a spiritual matter that we hand over to our God and we live it out as unto the Lord. That is what we are called to do. See, David could have, could have made things happen on his own part. He could have taken things into his own hands. But when we do that, it falls apart. It's headed straight for failure when we take it out of God's hands and we take it into ours and we run with it. See, God, God knows far better than we do. So we wait and trust. We wait and we trust for God's proven methods to work themselves out. Because we know, we sit here in this place, and we know that God's plan for you is far greater than you can imagine. And God's plan for you is far greater than, than what you are even capable of. See, God is going to give you bigger dreams through His Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit of God, he's going to equip you to do things that you aren't capable to do today. And because of that, then we can look up to God and say, God, I know I'm not capable. I know I'm not worthy. And we give all the glory to our God. And we point all the glory to him because we know we're not capable of those things. And so he's going to build you up in that kind of way and prepare you for something greater. As you think about our God, think of him this way. Imagine the train of God's royal robe and the companies of angels that surround him. And as you imagine that kingly God in his throne above, submit. Submit to God today before you submit to any person on this earth. Because our submission is first and foremost to him. No man that walks the face of this earth, but to our God. And we bow down before Him because He is our Lord and our King. You see, the the floor of the royal throne in heaven is our destination. And this morning, that's where we're going to make our way. We're going to make our way right down to the feet of our God. And we're going to lay ourselves before Him. Everything. All of the emotions, all of the thoughts, all of the inner resources of ourselves. We're just going to say, God, they are yours. And we are trusting you this morning to be our Lord and our King. And so we wait. We wait at your feet. And we're waiting at your feet for our instructions. One more text this morning. It's Philippians 3. Philippians 3. Let's start in 19. There. Some at the world. People that don't know God. Their destiny's destruction. Their God's their stomach. Uh, their mind is set on earthly things. They get into 20. But not us. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Will transform our lowly bodies. So that they will be like his glorious body. Our citizenship is not here. Here we are like strangers in a foreign land. But our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time together. Lord, we pray that you would remind us this morning of who is in control. It's not us. It's not our leaders. It's not our politicians. But Lord, you are in control. And from your throne in heaven, you are taking care of us, watching every step of our way, hearing every concern of our heart. And Lord, you reach down from heaven and you nurture us. We thank you. We praise your name this morning because you are faithful.